Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church, Martinsville. My name is Elizabeth Foss. I've only been here for a week. I am delighted to be here. I'm so excited to be serving a mission-driven church, and I am so excited to be getting to know you little by little. I do think that my first, my first order of of business is really falling in love with you. So I'm loving hearing stories and getting names and faces put together, and it's just a delight. Um, if you haven't, if if you haven't met, please, please stop by my office. I have an open door policy, and would love to have a chance to visit with you. Thank you for being in worship this morning, and please remember we also have a drive-in service at nine o'clock on Sundays. If you would like to. Uh, come to that. I promise we will make you feel right at home. Blessings to you. Let us now lift our hearts to God. Let us pray responsively our call to worship. Come, let us gather in the awareness of God's love. God's love has brought us to this place. God's love has made of us a church. We can live with confidence and hope in the assurance that we are forgiven and accepted by God. Because we are forgiven, we too can forgive. Let us praise our God of endless grace and offer our hearts true worship. Amen. Faith and the 
Good morning. My name is Pastor Elizabeth. I've not had the wonderful opportunity yet to meet the children of our church. I'm looking forward to that time again when it's safe for all of us to gather together, but I did want to incorporate a children's time into the worship service. So this morning I had an encounter with a rock, a rock that made me uncomfortable, a rock that hurt me, and so obviously I had to deal with this rock, and I actually brought the rock with me. You want to see it? Here it is. It's just a little pebble. Doesn't look like much of anything, but it was in my shoe. And because it was in my shoe, it really hurt. And I felt like I was walking on a piece of glass or something. There was just no alternative but to stop, sit down, take off my shoe, and get this tiny yet enormous feeling rock out of my shoe. It strikes me that that that's kind of what our problems are like. Sometimes people might look at our problems and think that they're little, but they feel big to us. And because they feel big to us, they feel big to God. And it's important for us to share our problems with God, whether those are small problems or big problems. Um, if they feel big to us, God is certainly going to want to offer comfort and strength and solace to us. So I always think of prayer as a bridge between us and God. And if we don't share the concerns of our heart with God, then it's kind of the, the chasm between us. It's kind of the, um, the uh, gulf between us. But when we pray, suddenly we have a bridge instead. So I really want to encourage you to bring any problems that you have to God, whether they are big, whether they are small, whether they are so small people won't take you seriously, or whether they're so big that people don't know what to say. God wants to hear everything that's going on in our lives, and God wants to help us and help us to become whole and to uh, know that he loves us. So please remember, problems big or small, take them to God in prayer. Let us pray together our opening prayer. O oh God, in mystery and silence, you are present in our lives, bringing new life out of destruction, hope out of despair, growth out of difficulty. We thank you that you do not leave us alone, but labor to make us whole. Help us to perceive your unseen hand in the unfolding of our lives and to attend to the gentle guidance of your spirit that we may know the joy you give your people. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning with the 19th verse. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean, Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. 
And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebecca conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the first verse. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
Our Old Testament text for today tells the story of a complicated family drama. Favoritism leads to sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry leads to brokenness. Brokenness leads to exile. It takes wrestling with God for Jacob to finally move toward reconciliation. It takes Esau, some other kind of encounter, to arrive at the same place. But God works on both brothers, and eventually they find their peace. But it's hard one. Today's text is about twins. Rebecca was their mother. Like Sarah before her and Rachel after her, Rebecca could not have children. Finally, after 20 years of trying to conceive, the Lord answers Isaac's prayer and Rebecca conceives. Twins at that. But from the start, things weren't easy. Our Old Testament text says that the children struggled within her. Even before they were born, the twins were wrestling and were at odds. And Rebecca wants to die, she is so grieved. When her sons arrived, firstborn Esau was ruddy and covered with a hairy mantle, which is probably more like peach fuzz. The second-born son, Jacob, was smooth. Esau was an outdoorsman. He was a skilled hunter who spent his time all day in the fields. Esau was his father Isaac's favorite. Jacob was quiet, an introvert, who stayed inside all day reading, helping in the kitchen, and Jacob was his mother's favorite. And within that favoritism and the resulting sibling rivalry, we find seeds of tragedy. In today's text, we begin to learn about Jacob's character. Jacob is a swindler, and he gets his start early and later even gets an assist from his mother, who loved him best. One day, Esau returns from a long day in the fields. He is famished. Jacob is in the kitchen cooking a stew. The older translations used to call it pottage, which is not to be not to be confused with porridge, which is rather bland and hardly would be the enticement that Jacob's stew apparently is. The new Revised Standard Version of the Bible translates it as red stuff. It was lentil stew, and it smells good to Esau, who asks for some. I don't know if Jacob was just waiting for such a need to be expressed, waiting to spring when Esau wanted something desperately, but he's ready, and he says to Esau, okay, I'll give you some of my stew if you'll give me your birthright. The birthright was the privilege and status, status of the firstborn. Esau is so hungry, he agrees. Our text says that he didn't really think his birthright was worth much if he died of hunger. He must have been extraordinarily hungry to trade his birthright for some lunch. But that's what he does. The story gets uglier as the years pass. The boys become men. Their father's health deteriorates as he ages. He's old, he's blind, he's weak. And, for, and it is time for the blessing of the firstborn. Time for the father to pass on to his eldest son the property, the responsibility for the family, and the status and rights of a clan leader. Isaac, old and blind, plans for this 
intimate celebration with his beloved son Esau, and he sends Esau out to hunt, to prepare his favorite meal, and to bring it to him. And as they enjoy the meal together, he plans to bestow the blessing. So Esau leaves to hunt as bidden. Well, Rebecca, watching and waiting, goes into action and sets into motion one of the great betrayals of all time. Hurry, she tells Jacob. Go slaughter two kids, and I will make his favorite meal for him. You take it to him. You, you pretend to be Esau, and he will give the blessing to you. Well, Jacob doesn't think Isaac will be fooled, but Rebekah puts Jacob in Esau's clothes, which, smells, which smell like the fields that he spends his days in. And she takes the skins of the slaughtered goats and wraps them around Jacob's hands and neck so that when Isaac touches him and finds him to be hairy, he'll think Jacob is Esau. And that's exactly what happens. They pull it off. Jacob, with the hairy goat skin on his neck and hands, brings the meal to Isaac. Isaac suspects something is not right. Your voice is Jacob's, he says, but your hands are Esau's. Who are you? I am Esau, your firstborn, Jacob says. Come close, Isaac says. Let me smell you. Ah, the smell of my son, Isaac says, like the smell of a field the Lord has blessed. They eat, the blessing is conferred, and the betrayal is complete. And then Esau appears to receive the blessing, bringing the meal that he has been asked to prepare. Who are you? Isaac asks. Your firstborn son, Esau. It was a moment of terrible realization. Isaac trembles in grief and betrayal. It is a poignant, tragic moment. What have I done? Who has done this to me? My wife and her favorite, Jacob. He is heartbroken by the betrayal of his wife and his son. Esau says, bless me too, father. And Isaac says, I cannot. It is done. And they weep together tears of profound disappointment and grief that as yet has not become anger. Esau gets there, though. Esau becomes enraged in short order, and he says to Jacob, the day that our father dies, I am going to kill you. And he must have said it believably because it scares Rebekah, who again intercedes. She sends Jacob off to live in the safety of her brother Laban's household. Twenty more years pass. Jacob actually marries two of Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, a story that tells us that, that Jacob meets his deal-making match in Laban. He works for his uncle taking care of flocks. He demonstrates the consistency of his character. Jacob has always been a swindler, and he still is. He steals from Laban systematically until his own flocks and wealth are conspicuous. And his uncle, who is now also his father-in-law, begins to suspect that something suspicious is going on. So Jacob, with his entire family, packs up all their belongings and flocks and leaves during the night. Rachel thoughtfully runs back at the last moment and steals some of her family, family's valuables. So Jacob is now on the move. He's no longer safe. 
and he knows one thing. He knows that Esau is out there somewhere. Jacob hasn't heard or seen Esau for 20 years, but he assumes that Jacob has been, excuse me, that Esau has been stewing over his stolen birthright, his stolen identity, and that his anger has solidified, and his vow to reap revenge by, by killing Jacob is still a magnificent obsession for him. High noon is approaching in this story. Well, we'll talk another day about what happens next. It's a story that is found in the 35th chapter of Genesis, and it's one of my favorite texts in all of scripture. Jacob is headed into his brother's territory, and he is terrified. And he gets to the river Jabbok, and Jacob decides to divide his huge entourage into two parts. In case Esau attacks, that way he won't lose everything. He also sends elaborate and generous gifts across the stream to appease Esau if he happens to be over there watching. And then he sends everybody ahead of him across the river, all his livestock, his belongings, his family, everything he has, and he sits down alone, just as he did 20 years before, in the dark, still a fugitive, still guilty and terrified, waiting for the dawn. He wrestles that night with a stranger. He emerges with a limp and a new name. And as the sun rises on a new day, he sees on the horizon the sight that he has been dreading for 20 years, Esau. And not just Esau, Esau with 400 armed men. When Esau recognizes Jacob, whom he has not seen for 20 years, Esau runs, throws his arms around Jacob, embraces him, and they both weep in perhaps one of the most poignant and beautiful lines in all of scripture, Jacob says to his estranged brother whom he has betrayed, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Jacob assumed that for 20 long years, Esau had nursed his resentment and anger and that the years had deepened and hardened that anger. Instead though, Esau's heart was softening and what found root was a desire for reconciliation with the brother who had treated him so wrongly. So Esau did the most unlikely, outrageous, and unexpected thing. He did not kill Jacob as he promised to do and as everyone else expected him to do. Instead, Esau forgave and embraced his brother Jacob. In the whole history of humankind with hideous consistency, Violence is met with violence, and wrongdoing with punishment, and revenge is exacted. An eye for an eye, a life for a life. And here in this story comes this wonderful revolutionary idea that God does not want revenge. God wants forgiveness. God wants reconciliation. Forgiveness is a tough thing. It can be difficult to forgive ourselves. It can be difficult to forgive others. Not extending forgiveness protects us. It enables us to remember the hurt and to put up a shield of unforgiveness to keep ourselves from getting hurt again. Often, as Jacob assumed Esau had done over these 20 years, we too nurse our anger and, and catalog the wrongs that have been committed against us. When I find myself doing that, I think of the cautionary words of Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers. In his book, Wishful Thinking, he says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. 
to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations yet to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. The story of Jacob and Esau in which God works on both brothers in different ways over those 20 years always says to me that we can create brokenness that is intractable, so beyond our ability to fix it ourselves that it deepens our awareness of a need for our Savior. There is brokenness in us and in the world that we cannot fix. Jesus calls us as his followers to be part of the response to that brokenness. He calls us to extend the forgiveness that has been extended to us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, he taught us to pray daily. Forgive us our sins, our betrayals, as we forgive those who have sinned against and betrayed us. Jesus calls us to forgive and to extend forgiveness as a way of living and being, to extend grace and reconciliation as an expression of our trust in him. The good news found within this story is that God does not harbor anger and resentment, that God does not remember iniquities and betrayals, small or large, that God is a forgiving, reconciling God who wants all of us, you and me, to know the peace and security of his steadfast love and to express that same love and forgiveness to all who need it, including sometimes even ourselves. Thanks be to God. Amen.
us join together in affirming our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Will you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. in peace, to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.
Remember, the Force will be with you, always.